Welcome to the SJ Child Show. This episode is sponsored by Water and Body Basics. Visit 3440 South, 5600 West, West Valley City, Utah. Mention SJ Childs today. Welcome to the SJ Childs Show. I'm your host, SJ Childs, and today I have a very special guest, and this is going to be a very uh, exciting conversation, lots of educational points to cover. Uh, Dr. Noreen Russell is here from Tampa, Florida. Well, she's not here with me in Utah, but she is in Florida on Zoom. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I, you know, have taken a look at some of your other podcasts and just think you're doing a, a great jo- job and doing a great service to, to parents. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm excited that you got to take a look at some of those. I'm, I think it's really bringing value to people too. And we just finished up season one with 40 episodes. Yay. So we're on to season two, which will, you'll be a part of. I'm so happy to say. Um, and this is going to be a really great conversation today because as many of you know, autism is a huge part of my life and I am a huge advocate. And also, um, Noreen will tell you her story of what she does there and the practice that she runs, which is for families. And there's just a lot to cover and great, great conversation to have today. So let's just get right started. Tell us about yourself, Noreen, and, and how you got started. Sure. Um, so I am trained in psychology. I have a PhD in psychology with a focus on developmental psychology. And I knew in graduate school that I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist. And, um, I was really interested in healthy youth development and what created healthy environments for kids, what helped kids to thrive. Um, and so, That is really what my professional background is. And then I spent several years in academia um, teaching at the university level and then segued into nonprofit work where I got to really dive more deeply into applied work with kids, with parents, with schools, with communities. Um, I worked um, in New York City at the uh, YWCA of the city of New York, which was really exciting. Wow. Worked down here in Tampa um, for some different youth agencies and ended up running something called um, the Ophelia Project and the Boys Initiative. And then I had my son. And, you know, parenting is life changing for all of us, right? But um, for us, it was even more so. I would characterize our firstborn as having been high needs from the very beginning. And I ended up about, um, I think it was nine months into motherhood, resigning my position as a nonprofit CEO um, because um, he was complicated and, and I needed to be home more and available more. And then... Um, I'll tell you that the sort of next thing that happened is I think what's brought me to my absolute career passion in life, the clinicians around town here in Tampa, where I live, um, were calling me and saying, can you mentor this student? Can you do some coaching with this student? Can you work one-on-one with this student? And I would say, Dr. Eason, I am not a clinical psychologist or 
you know, Dr. Bloom, I don't know what you're talking about because to me, you know, that was the realm of therapists. And I remember just getting all these calls. They just, they need some mentoring. They need support. They need coaching. And at the time, I mean, I don't know what you or your listeners think about coaching, but you know, coaching is still an unlicensed profession. And, you know, I had some really, um, negative ideas about coaching and who does coaching. But 13 years later, I have to say, I have found the perfect fit for me professionally that gets to make use of how do we help kids be strong and healthy and resilient? How do we work from a strengths-based approach? How do we take into account atypical development while we try to help our kids develop all of their potential? So I have been in coaching, um, running my own practice for 13 years, and um, we work with students all over the United States and Canada, and I don't know, I, I it's really super exciting. So that's me in a nutshell. I love that. And now Russell Coaching for Students, that's the name of the coaching that you do now. That is, that's wonderful. And what, so what kind of... Um, I guess having the education and then you have your own son and isn't it funny? It's always like, oh yeah, you know, all this stuff, but then it's right in front of you and you don't know anything, right? Oh, it's so true. I really started out, um, you know, doing general life coaching for middle schoolers who didn't quite fit in. They were a little different from their peers you know, academically, they were fine. And looking back, SJ, I really, I I think there were some who were not identified, but were probably, um, you know, on the spectrum, even mildly, and they needed support, they needed someone who would accept them and care about them and get them on their own. And then, and then, as we got to know our son, his initial diagnosis, and, and you know, this isn't unusual with autism was ADHD. Um, and we really started, our path started with all of the sensory pieces of things. And so we got the ADHD diagnosis first. And actually, I think he was a little bit on the older side, especially for someone who, um, worked with kids who were atypical to be diagnosed with autism, but it was really his ADHD diagnosis that led me I started the Tampa Bay ADHD parent support group when he was three, because I was like, I don't get this. Well, looking back SJ, it's because he was so much more neurologically complicated than, than simple ADHD. And, and so I started that support group and then parents started saying, can you coach my ADHD child? And I looked into what does that mean? You know, what are, what are the best practices for ADHD coaching? And just absolutely loved the focus on being functional, developing skills, helping kids be successful, how they were, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we got my son's autism diagnosis. And, um, you know, by that time, I know that we had students in the practice who had autism, um, you know, and, and of course, anxiety often goes along with that and learning differences. And so now I have a coaching practice basically for kids who are neurologically atypical teaching executive functioning skills. But when I'm at home, you know, I'm living in the same world. Yeah. I have two kids who are neurologically atypical and who are 
so dramatically different from each other, right? I mean, so dramatically different. And it has taught me that if you know one child with autism, you know, one child with autism, my son and daughter are so completely different, both on the spectrum, both fascinating people. I could not love them more. Um, but we definitely live in the world of atypicalness. <laughs> Amen, sister. Me too. I'll tell you what I call it the moon cycle sleeping over here because it's never two weeks of the same type of sleep. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and we have mood issues at our house. Mm-hmm. And, and so what my, my saying that would be analogous to your saying is what goes up must come down. What goes down will come up. Yeah. Um, so it's the same thing. It's cyclical. It's periodical. It's unpredictable in a way that, you know, people just don't understand. I remember having a conversation with a friend when Ethan was about eight and saying that he was doing well. And I remember her saying to me, see, you spend all that time worrying for nothing. And I thought, no, actually I spent all that time worrying so I could get educated and I could become an advocate and I could better understand my child and get him services so that he could be doing this great now. I wasn't worrying for nothing. There was there was a need for me to be worried. Well, and it wasn't, uh, he wouldn't be having success if it hadn't been for you, if you hadn't stepped in with the education piece of it. I know from our you know, perspective, that's the, the case as well. Like our son couldn't be as far as he is today if I hadn't have implemented those educational pieces right away. Uh, it's just not possible, probably. Maybe, maybe it is, but um, it wouldn't have gone the same way, right? And so, yeah. No, I, absolutely. You have to be so extra vigilant all the time about what services are needed. How is this school going to work for my child? I mean, we've been at schools that have worked great, We've been at schools that have worked great for a while and then not been a good fit. Right now, he's at the most amazing school that is helping him beyond any of my wildest dreams. I love that. Shout out to Plato Academy, Tampa. Um, They are phenomenal. Um, And, you know, but but it's a constant journey, I find, as a parent of kids who are atypical to figure out what do they need now? Like, Mine are in middle school and people keep asking me, where are you going to send them for high school? I'm like, you know, I don't know. When we get there. I don't know if I'm going to know until we're really close to that time. And it may be that there's somewhere that's great for a couple of years and then something changes. You know, that's what happened at the first school we were at. And so I don't, you know. I always had this dream that my kids would go, you know, somewhere and they would stay, you know, from K through five or K eight, and they'd have the same friends and they'd, you know, grow up with all these, you know, great experiences at the same school. And, you know, that's not been their journey and and it's fine. Um, But it was one of those, I think almost a grief experience for me. Absolutely. I wanted that for my students. I, I mean, for my children as students, I wanted them to have this school community that was, strong and stable and consistent for years and years. And we've had great school communities for a few years at a time. Yeah, definitely. No, and we've experienced the same. (laughs) So yeah, I I completely get that. And I always say at the very beginning to any new parent of, um, you know, autism and 
any kind of neurological developmental process, there is a grieving process. There is a grief of letting go of those expectations that you have. You're just a human and you only have human expectations and it's okay. Like it's okay to go through that grieving process and to really allow yourself to, to feel sad about those things because they won't be happening and it's okay. And you know, what you find out of that is strategies to make new things happen. And so it it is, it's definitely a process that, we all learn on our path and our own step of, of autism and our own journeys, you know, how to get there. Oh, you're so right. You know, we find ways to figure out what does work, right? Like I had these visions, um, you know, we always went on family vacations as a kid and, and um, I just somehow thought that that's how it would be. Oh, we yep. went <laughs> on family vacation. I don't know. That's what I knew growing up, right? Growing up. Well, my son has such difficulty with new sensory experiences. I remember taking him as a two-year-old over to the East coast of Florida um, for a, a, a family occasion and walking in the hotel and him being overwhelmed by the smell of it and by the look of it and the feel of it. And he was like, just in complete autism meltdown mode, the sensory experience of being in a hotel was too much. I remember seven years later, not having learned my lesson, we tried to go to a resort over here on the east side. And I thought, well, we're gonna take the travel part out. We're gonna go over to this very fancy resort. And to me, I'm thinking this sounds great, right? (laughs) And my kids get in their bed at night and my son goes, mom, These beds are so weird. They're not like the beds at home. And I thought, you know, isn't it interesting? I'm a bright person and I am a really clued in mom, but you cannot always anticipate all of the things that your autism kid who has sensory sensitivities is going to be attuned to, right? I mean, I was like, okay, fine. Like, you know, and we checked out the next day, we went home and slept in our beds, but you know what, SJ, you know what? There's this wonderful thing called resort pass where you can buy a pass for a day to go to the resort. You can drive over to the resort. You can play in the pools. You can send the kids to the arcade. You can have lunch delivered to you by the pool and you can drive home and sleep in your own bed. And you know what we spent all spring doing? Oh, that's wonderful. Going on day trips to, you know, not, I mean, you know, make it work fairly nice resorts and it's not overwhelming. And it's just what you're talking about. You figure out what works, right? Like my kids hate going to the movies, but they love documentaries. We just subscribe to curiosity stream and they're like, mom, mom, can we watch this as a family? Mom, my daughter is so into this cosmos program. That's all about universe. And, um, but there is, I don't know. I just, and I think every parent listening will relate to this, that, you know, you had hopes and dreams. And even if your child is typical, you know, those don't always come true. But I think when you have a kid who struggles because of a neurological developmental difference, sometimes there is grieving like there is with, you know, a child with a chronic illness or a severe illness. 
Yeah, I would say so definitely. And, and it's okay to, to also embrace those kinds of things because, uh, you can't have one without the other. And I think that that's the part that moms like you and I can see for what they are. And I think that that's a hard thing for a new mom on the spectrum sometimes. And it kind of funny. I was, when you were talking earlier about ADHD, my personal, I'm not a doctor, (laughs) I'm not a doctor, Dr. Russell, but, um, my personal, just like in, you know, from what I feel, I've always felt that, um, like ADHD and a lot of other things are really have always been, and are just like autism. And for me, the people that I've known, I've always been like, I know, you know, and kind of like this, this back knowing of, you know, before they did almost, and it's kind of interesting when you see that. And, um, I just, now that I get, like I said, shared with you that my husband, you know, has been diagnosed for about five or six years now. And just to see the way he thinks to kind of analyze him and be able to um, really see the whole picture and see what a type, different type of thinking process he has. Mm -hmm. And that's where it kind of all just clicked. Okay. This is just a thinking process. This is a different way the brain is wired to think. And, you know, I obviously have been doing all this education, but a lot of it, you get hyper-focused on what do I do about this behavior? What about this behavior? What about this behavior? And you stop looking at the thinking. You stop looking at the reasons why, because you can't get off of the behavioral aspect of it, which I think is the is not the way to look at it. And I, I, I love that there's therapists and I, some have worked and some haven't, but I wish that they would take the whole pro the whole, you know, of it and not just these little parts and try to fix them or change them because I don't, I don't see it that way anymore. Well, I think you bring up such an important point, right? When we have kids who are wired differently, yes, of course we want to help them cope right? We want to build their resiliency. We want them to be successful. But I think there is in all of our journeys, a place where you have to say, I'm not going to cure these symptoms, right? And so I have to focus on skills and strategies and not focus on the symptoms. Like I find it fascinating in the ADHD um, groups that I'm on, on, you know, Facebook and other places, And, you know, parents say things like, oh, they're just so wild in the morning, or how do I get them to keep their room organized? Or it drives (laughs) me crazy when they can't sit at the dinner table. And I, where I'm at my own self, right, is you're going to have symptoms, ADHD, autism, you know, those are chronic conditions you're not going to cure the disorder, right? And I know there's lots of conversation out, out there about whether or not we even want to do that. I'm not going near that with a 10 Yeah, totally. We do want our kids to be functional. We want them to be resilient. We want them to be able to be successful in lots and lots of different places. But the symptoms are the symptoms are the symptoms. You know, <laughs> your ADHD kid is going to have ADHD symptoms there, you know, and, and how that plays out for them might be very individual. My kids, you know, their autism 
looks really different. And we have to work on building skills and strategies for each of them individually. And they both actually have, have a coach in, in my practice and they see different coaches for totally different reasons. Um, but working on, okay, how do I learn the skills that I need in this particular situation? I just think is so, is so valuable. And the, and part of what I'm reacting to is when you say we need to look at the whole child and we need to look at the strengths, right? And that's part of what I love about coaching is coaching is strengths-based. So how do we take something that is a strength for a student and put that into place? I'll tell you, we have um, a student, I think he's going to be a junior in college next year. And um, we referred him for an evaluation this year and he is on the spectrum and he was glad to know that and has sort of welcomed understanding that. And we have used some of what comes along with his autism, which is that he really needs things to be fixed and on a schedule and in control. And he needs to be able to kind of understand his world on his terms. I'm telling you, this is a kid who has gone from getting D's and F's in college to getting A's and B's because we worked with his need for order instead of trying to push on him other ways of organizing schoolwork, right? It was like, okay, so what works for you? What do you like? Well, I have to study, you know, between five and seven o'clock at night. You know, and I know there are a lot of people who would have started immediately working on flexibility. Well, we need to get you so that you can study in the mornings when you don't have class. You know what? Sometimes maybe yes, but sometimes SJ, don't you think if that's what this person needs right now, then let's figure out how you can study between five and seven. You know, the world accommodates people in all kinds of ways, or you figure out where you're going to fit in, right? I'm a total introvert. I hate socializing. I have figured out how to have friends pretty much without socializing. We can help our kids and we can help the world accommodate to them. And so some of these things that are symptoms can also be strengths. Yeah, no, I agree. And I I mean, I always want to think that people are going to call me crazy or think I'm crazy. And so, but my husband is, is trying to tell me, no, you know, you do what's right for our family. And that doesn't, who, who cares what anybody thinks (laughs) He is my, my strength, you know, my wall that I can be crumbly about, but, um, he it's because we don't live a traditional lifestyle that everybody does. You know, we don't have a dinner time. We don't sit at a table and eat all together. We don't have bedtimes and it's crazy. You know, people don't like it. They think that it's, and my children are, are healthy and well and functional and happy. And isn't that the most important part? Happy. We don't put pressure on our child to have a biological function on a time clock that's made up by a society who doesn't have neurotypical needs. We base it on our own child's needs. Right. We realize he'll have to whole his whole life to use the toilet. You know, <laughs> he's got his whole life to use the toilet. He'll have his whole life to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm not going to force him. You know, and people might not like that tough luck, like he's uh, he's healthy, he's fine. And 
yeah, I just think that it's in us being flexible. It's in our flexibility, in our flexibility of our minds, in our own opening our own schedules to flexibility in our lifestyles. That's what helps our children be successful, find the strategies and the coping skills that they need. Oh, I 100% agree. And I'll never forget the moment I was in a, a seminar at one of our local schools that specializes in dyslexia and anxiety and ADHD. And I was in a workshop on executive functioning. And the um, person who was facilitating the workshop had us do a self assessment from the Smart But Scattered series. And oh my word, Sarah, when I realized that. I had all these great executive functioning skills and my lowest score by far was on flexibility. I had this moment of insight. This is why this is hard for me because I am not naturally gifted with flexibility. And I've started since that time. And I think I took this seminar four or five years ago talking with my kids. You know, it's hard for mom to be flexible. Give me a few minutes and let me kind of change how I was thinking about this or you know, mom doesn't immediately feel comfortable when you guys decide you don't want to do it like that. I have an idea in my mind and I've kind of worked out that this is going to work well for us. And it takes into account some of what our family needs. And so I need like 10 or 15 minutes to think through how you want to do it so that I can make sure that we're all safe and that we can kind of get the same things accomplished. But that has been fascinating to me how much flexibility, autism requires on our parts. Uh, But we don't want to do that, right, SJ? We want to say, no, you, you child. I'm the parent. I'm the parent. (laughs) It's it's almost like a joke now, right? Right. Like, I mean, yeah, you are.